Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we're going to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor of Family Tree Magazine. We'll be covering the latest hot topics from the blogosphere with genealogy insider and managing editor Diane Haddad. In our top tips segment, we'll be uncovering those skeletons in the closet from the author of an upcoming Family Tree Magazine article on the subject, Sonny McClellan Morton. We'll be spotlighting another terrific website in the 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots list. We'll hear about a brand new special issue of the magazine. And we'll be visiting with Susan Kaufman from the Clayton Library in Houston, Texas in our Libby's Spotlight segment. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Well, this is the time in each episode when we get to check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy to find out what's happening at Family Tree Magazine and kind of get a sneak peek of what's coming up in future issues. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Hey, you know, it seems to me like everyone is talking about uh, the economy these days. And we know that genealogists uh, obviously aren't immune to that. And I understand that you're working on several articles for the March 2008 issue that are going to be dedicated to helping folks save money. Is that right? That's right. Um, You know, a lot of people have been talking about that. We recently did a survey um, of our newsletter readers, and um, it's definitely on everyone's mind. So we decided that we would help everybody out um, with a special cover package in our March issue. Uh, One of the focus will be favorite family history freebies, um, these are things we come across a lot of these um, in the Family Tree Magazine staff, and so we're going to share some of our favorite free tools that you can take advantage of. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, although some people may be finding that they need to curb their travel for research trips, especially as we get into the winter months, yeah. um, it's always good to plan ahead, and that's one way that you can save money. Um, but we'll have an entire guide to doing a research trip on a shoestring, and we'll look at some of the common places that people go, like Salt Lake City, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Washington, D.C., and offer some special secrets for ways that you can save money just by virtue of being a genealogist. Well, that sounds great, because we don't want to give up our research trips, right? No, No. it's vital to making progress. So um, in addition to those tips, though, we also thought it would be interesting um, to bring a little social historical context into the mix. Mm -hmm. Many of us forget or we don't realize that our ancestors didn't experience the relative economic stability that we are used to today. Panics and bank runs were not uncommon at all. So we're going to also have an article that looks at the 10 worst economic crises that our ancestors lived through and how that, those affected them. We're also going to uh, share some of readers' best Great Depression stories. We've got a thread going on our forum, and we're getting some really interesting material, so I'm excited to be able to share that with folks in the March issue. Oh, that sounds great. It'll remind us that um, economic challenges aren't a new thing. <laughs> They've definitely, definitely happened not. to our ancestors. Definitely not. Great. Um, just to highlight a couple of the other features that we're working on, uh-huh. um, we've got Danish Roots and Secrets to Searching Library Catalogs. Um, we'll also have a, a neat kind of twist on um, how to write a memoir. It's oh. going to contain something called Memoir Mad Libs, and you may be familiar with Mad Libs that 
children fill in. I remember with, those from my yeah. young days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, our writer has kind of taken that approach to helping to get memories flowing and getting some stuff on paper. So that's going to be really fun. Oh, how fun. And last but not least, um, it's going to be the conclusion of our state research guide series in the March issue. That's amazing um, that you're already finishing <laughs> up, isn't it? Yeah, we've been working on it for about four years now. Wow. Um, so New Hampshire and Idaho are the distinguished final uh, states <laughs> to be presented in the series. So if you've been waiting for those, it's finally uh, your turn. Oh, good. Yeah, and I just thought I would remind listeners that um, if you haven't seen the entire series or if there are particular states that you would be interested in, we do have those guides still available, although they won't be in the magazine anymore. We have a book and a CD compilation of the entire series, and you can also download individual states uh, from our online store. Great, and we'll give them the link to that in the show notes that they can go to familytreemagazine.com and uh, click the shop button, right? Right. Terrific. Hey, thank you so much. It sounds like there's a lot of good stuff coming down the road. Yeah, we're hard at work. All right, great. We'll talk to you next month. Bye, Lisa. Each month at this point in the podcast, we delve into what's new in the genealogy blogosphere with Diane Haddad, editor of the Family Tree Magazine's Genealogy Insider blog. Hi, Diane. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing great, but I bet you are doing great. You had some exciting events in your life this last week. I did. Um, I got married on September 27th and um, then went away for our honeymoon for a week in Costa Rica, which was very nice, very beautiful country. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I know you, I saw that you mentioned it in your blog and um, Mm -hmm. just, we're all so thrilled for you. And I don't know, have you had your head in the blogosphere the last week? (laughs) Well, I've had my head in the clouds, um, both literally in the rainforest and figuratively. Um, So I am getting back into the swing of things. So I'll try not to be too fuzzy headed today. (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you back. But again, congratulations. Thank you. Um, well, so tell us, uh, what were the folks at Family Tree Magazine blogging about uh, in September and then also while you were gone? Well, um, one big a big deal that happened in September was the launch that Footnote had of their, um, what they're calling their Facebook for the deceased, which is Footnote Pages. And it's Footnote, as um, people probably know, is the historical records site. And part of that site is now dedicated to um, memorials for deceased people. Um, the trend towards memorial websites has been, um, you know, something people have been doing this, but Footnote went at it a little bit differently by pulling profiles based on the Social Security Death Index. So everyone whose name has been reported um, as being deceased to the Social Security Administration has a basic profile on this Footnote Pages site. So what genealogists can do, and anyone can do, is go on to Footnote Pages and search for the name of a loved one or anybody they know, and then they can find this profile and enhance it with stories and pictures, and um, they can also go, if they're members of Footnote, they can go search for historical records and attach those to the profile as well. Well, now this is kind of a departure from being a a truly records provider. What do you suppose prompted the initiative on their part? Well, I think Footnote has always um, 
been sort of a social networking site because you've always been able to um, add notes to a historical right. record or say this is my you know great grandfather's FBI case file or something like that on a record. So this is another step in in that direction of becoming um, even more well known as a social networking type site. So they're really playing up that interactive element yeah. of Footnote. Yeah, you can have your family members go on and add their stories. Um, you know, you might find a distant relative's profile that someone has enhanced who you don't even know. So there's that opportunity to find, um, you know, to connect with other researchers and, you know, long-lost cousins who might be able to add to your family tree. Right. And now you mentioned to me also that there was another company doing something similar. There was. There's one called Tribute that is um, started by the person who um, used to be associated with Monster.com, the great big job search site. Oh, right. So so that person, um, I don't recall his name right now, but he's applying his talents to a site called Tribute, which similarly to Footnote, it's based on the Social Security Death Index, and then people can find a profile and enhance it. Um, the, the difference with Tribute is that there, you can enhance a basic profile for free, but then to, you know, to add certain um, more information to it, they have a membership. So you can do a more elaborate version if you um, do a certain monthly or unlimited access amount. Then right, right. Okay, great. Well, as always, there's lots going on in the world of genealogy. We're glad that you guys have. Keep an eye on it, and we're glad to have you back at the Genealogy Insider. Congratulations again. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Thank you. <laughs> Great. We'll talk to you next month. Okay. Bye. Ooh, what was that? Halloween is nearing, and I'm wondering, have you got a few skeletons in your family closet? Okay, maybe we're not talking about rattling bones, but there may be a few thieves or thugs or black sheep that could rattle your living relatives if you inquired about them. Well, you'll find answers to that challenge in the article, Skeletons in the Closet, in the November 2008 issue of Family Tree Magazine, and that article is by Sonny McClellan Morton. And Sunny is joining me today for our Top Tips segment. Welcome, Sunny. Thank you. Great to have you here. You know, uh, in this article, you provide five tips for bringing old family secrets to light. And one in particular that really jumped out at me, uh, it was to search out the bigger picture. And uh, you tell a great story in the article about the 1808 trial of Samuel Hill in Virginia. And I thought it was a great example of searching out the bigger picture. So tell us a little bit about that story. All right. Well, Samuel Hill um, was tried in 1808 in Virginia for the murder um, of a local man with whom he had had a longstanding feud. Um, His descendant, Ed Hill, found the court case, um, found several histories, and pieced together what happened here and was appalled that his ancestor, had, who was prominent and wealthy, had killed this other man. Um, what struck me so much about Ed Hill is that he had the nerve to go ahead and contact the descendants of the man that his ancestor had killed. Exactly. I thought that was just, I don't know that I would have the guts to <laughs> call a total, total, total stranger 
and to say, my ancestor killed yours, let's chat. But what, what the two men ended up figuring out after they put the story together is that, you know what, Samuel and the man that he killed both really got what they deserved. In the end, they really, neither of them was a very good guy. And the two of them were able to look at that story through the, the lens of time that sort of can soften the rough edges of any story. And they could, they could sort of see it for what it was and not take it personally. And I thought it was fantastic that Ed could also sit back and say, you know, I learned through the records that um, my ancestor was, um, was very pro-British during this time. And with the War of 1812 and the, the circumstances in Virginia, it was not a great thing to be pro-British. So it made him wonder whether there was some anti-British sentiment going on here. And that helped him really put the larger context around this story and not just sort of see it um, in a very limited you know, view from just the court records. Exactly. And it's such a great tip because it, I, I was reading it and I was thinking it would have been so easy for Ed just to sit back and go, you know, hey, I found this great court case. I'm done, you know. And in your article, you just you talk about all those different steps he took. Like you say, I'm not so sure I'd have the nerve, but how how fantastic that he did make the call because uh, I, I'm sure it was not only more information for him, but fascinating to the gentleman that he called who was the descendant of the man who was murdered. Yeah, I just thought it was wonderful that he was willing to leave no stone unturned and to really go after the story and not be afraid of what he would find. Did you find in researching this article that um, that there were any tips that people came up with is when when you do kind of come across somebody who really isn't real happy about what you're inquiring about. Well, yeah, and a matter of fact, um, Ed Hill, who did this research, had that experience. He told one of his relatives all about it, and she listened very carefully and said, "Ed, I think you've researched a little too much." He just didn't. She just didn't want to know this sort of thing. So, um, there's I think there's two things to be important of in the first of of course, is to come to terms with the past yourself after you have researched your facts. And the second one is to be very sensitive in how you share it with others and whether you share it with others. Some stories, if they are recent or if they are particularly painful to a family, may just be best tucked away in a file for a few years or um, just shared privately and not publicly. Or There are so many options in this day and age for how you share stories that it doesn't have to be a headline news story. It, it can it can be something that sort of um, lives on privately or in a more appropriate venue. Exactly. And um, when listeners pick up this issue and, and read your article, they'll find kind of a, a toolkit section. There are seven sources for scandals, um, great records not to miss. You know, you mentioned things like FBI files and prison records, and, and many of these things are really records you'd only go after once you've kind of uncovered that there's another story there. They're not the typical everyday genealogical records. So I think this is going to be a great resource for everybody uh, reading the article. Sunny, thank you so much for joining us. Um, It's a fascinating article. I know that folks will love reading it. And uh, thanks so much for sharing the story. Well, you're welcome. It was my pleasure. It was sure fun to talk about other people's stories for for once and not just my own. (laughs) Exactly. Thanks again. I hope we'll have you back on the show soon. Thank you. Many of the websites featured in the 101 Best Websites article in Family Tree Magazine in the September 2008 issue 
were resources for finding records. But in this 101 Best Websites segment, we're going to feature a website that focuses in on helping you understand and stay in touch with your family. Now, that website is Genie.com, and to do that, I have invited Keith McCarty, who's Marketing Manager at Genie, to join us. Hi, Keith. Hi, Lisa. Since the concept of building your family tree online with a tool like Genie uh, might be fairly new to many of our listeners, I was hoping you could just kind of give me your best elevator speech as to exactly what Genie.com offers. Absolutely. Uh, Genie is a private place for your family uh, to build your family tree, preserve your history, and share your lives with each other. Um, Genie is online, so there's no software to continuously update, and um, Genie automatically does that for you, uh, uh, being that it's online. And the best thing of all is that Genie is free to use, so anybody can sign up and, uh, and use the service for free. Now, the first question that you know comes to my mind is, would you consider Genie to be like a replacement to a genealogy desktop software that we might be currently using, or would it be in addition to that? I wouldn't say it's necessarily a replacement, but it, it definitely makes a good supplement. Um, some genealogists have used it as a complete replacement, um, but definitely the desktop version does serve um, some, some useful purposes, and you know the online version definitely has its useful purposes as well. Because it really um, has that connecting ability, doesn't it? Right. The collaborative aspect that, that Genie offers uh, by being able to collaborate with the rest of your family members is really something that you can't get out of the desktop version. Um, however, you know, genealogists tend to like to, to control a lot of their content and always have, you know, the master version that they can have complete control over, which the desktop version offers. Well, that sounds pretty cool. So um, if we decide we want to kind of take it and uh, run with it, tell us briefly, how do we get started with using Genie? Yeah, getting started with Genie is really easy. Basically, you just go to www.genie.com, that's G-E-N-I.com, and we'll ask you to fill out a simple form. Uh, you put your first name, your last name, your email address, and your gender, and you click Start My Tree, and you're off. You'll immediately be taken to, uh, to start building your family tree. Alternately, if uh, you're a genealogist and you've been working with that desktop application, Genie enables you to import your GEDCOM file. And we're uh, really happy to announce that we uh, recently released the JetCom import limit to 50,000 profiles. So uh, there shouldn't be any problem. Most genealogists, we find that their JetCom files are, are, uh, are well below that limit. That should um, be sufficient, shouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's no need to duplicate all that hard work that genealogists have already done. They can easily import their JetCom uh, into Genie. And so once you import your JetCom, uh, you can easily start building your tree further if you wish. And um, one of the things that we that we try and you know strive to maintain at Genie is making everything very easy to use. Um, everything's very intuitive, and um, you know we have users that are anywhere from age 13 to 93 using Genie. So as you build out your family tree, each person on the tree is given a, a profile, and a profile is basically a biographical sketch of the person. And you and your family can add uh, anything from very basic information to very detailed information. But all the information that you add to that profile somehow pertains to that person. Once you build out your tree a bit and, um, and, the, and these profiles are, are populated, uh, one of the most important things that you want to do on Genie is invite your family members. Um, because once you invite your family members, that's where the true collaborative nature and value of Genie comes to life. It's really amazing when multiple family members can work together to preserve their family history and bring those names and dates that genealogists often collect. You can bring those to life through the addition of memories and really rich content that Genie offers. Well, this all sounds like a ton of fun. Tell our listeners how they can find you and get started. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you, like I said, you just go to www.genie.com, G-E-N-I.com, and you fill out the simple form, and uh, you're off. And it's free, uh, right? Yeah, it's free, completely free. Perfect. Keith, thank you so much for coming in and talking with us today and inspiring us. I think we're all going to be excited to go out there and give it a try. Thank you, Lisa. Anytime. In today's Library Spotlight, we're going to explore the Clayton Library in Houston, Texas, which was featured in the July 2008 issue of Family Tree Magazine as a Libby Award winner. And libraries were chosen based on their outstanding collections and resources available nationwide, and it was based on a survey sent out to librarians. They should know. Uh, you can check out that survey at familytreemagazine.com slash library survey. And I am so happy to have with us today the director of the Genealogical Library, Susan Kaufman, who's going to sort of take us on an audio tour of her library. Hi, Susan. Well, hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. You know, um, Houston has been on all of our minds, you know, lately with the recent hurricane. How are you guys all doing? We actually are doing very, very well. Of course, there were some areas around Houston, you know, cities that were uh, devastated. You know, we can think of Galveston. But in Houston, um, we did have, you know, some damage, you know, personally at homes. And then the library did some uh, did sustain some damage, but not very much. Uh, specifically at Clayton, there were just a few things that happened here, a few ceiling tiles, um, some leaks. But we didn't have any damage to any of the materials. We were very fortunate. Very fortunate. That is so good to hear. And, you know, not everyone listening will be familiar with the Clayton Library, so I would love to just dive right in and talk about your terrific collection there and kind of have you highlight one or two of the really unique genealogical holdings. So what goodies do you have that we should be looking out for? Well, uh, we, of course, have a lot of things that we think that everybody should come here for. Of course. Uh, we are part of Houston Public Library, and so uh, Clayton Library, of course, being in the Gulf Coast, uh, some of our major collections that we do have are reflective of Gulf Coast materials. One of those would be uh, specifically the Cuban papers, and they're a very interesting set of papers. They're called the Cuban papers because they were housed in Cuba. They really don't have anything to do with Cuba. They are early colonial pre uh, United States material into the 15 and 1600s, up into the 1700s, of material that was uh, instrumental. Uh, in the development of the Gulf Coast area, but you also have to understand that it actually does go up north almost all the way into Illinois, some of these uh, vital records and colonial material that talks about the development of this area. Unfortunately, uh, sometimes it can be challenging to use, let alone there's no index, but the language in of itself of the documents are in French and Spanish because those were the languages of the area of the people that lived here at that time. Oh, right. So we're one of the main libraries of, uh, that has uh, about 1,400 rolls of microfilm that has almost a complete collection. There are very few libraries in the nation that do have a complete collection. Um, we're very proud of our Texas death certificates, of course. We have a full collection up through what we can get uh, into 1976 because of uh, privacy rights. The right. death certificate collection covers 1903 through 1976 on microfilm, so we uh, utilize those a lot here. 
And I understand that um, being down in Texas, that you maybe have some immigration records for southern ports. Exactly. Uh, we do have Laredo and, of course, New Orleans, Galveston. Um, we do have a very strong southern port uh, passenger list collection, New Orleans, supplemented, of course, by the uh, Northeast Corridor, too. But we do have, and we even have some passenger records that are coming into the 21st century that are actually airplane passenger records as opposed to ship passenger records. Really? Coming over from Mexico. Oh, how interesting. Now, that's probably a new type of record for us. Yeah, well, when you get into the 20th century, you know, you have to think of the passenger list, you know, uh, especially with flight and airplanes, you know, they weren't coming on ships any longer. People were coming on planes, so you do have that type of uh, passenger list now. Very interesting. Oh, how neat. Now, I understand, uh, I was looking through the article again, and it was saying that 100% of your collection is out on open stacks, so it sounds like it's great for browsing. Exactly, exactly. Our material is organized by state. So um, you don't have to worry about whether uh, Illinois and the correct Dewey number or anything like that. So you can just go right <laughs> to the A's and look at Alabama or Arizona, and then everything's alphabetized by county. So it makes it very easy to browse. Oh, fantastic. Well, I know, you know, we only have a short time here, and you've probably whet our appetite for what you have down there at Clayton. So tell us, how can we find you, not only online, but if we want to come in person? Well, online, of course, you can go to www.houstonlibrary.org, and that will bring up our library homepage, and you will see across the top there is a link there for special collections. You can click on special collections, and then you can click on our homepage. It'll say the Clayton Library, um, and there you'll find out about our hours and our education uh, sessions that we have, and, of course, directions for when you're in the city. In the city, we are located in the museum district. Then you would just come. We're accessible by Highway 45, uh, Interstate 10, Interstate 288. So there are a lot of ways to uh, get here to see us. Well, I will have links for all of you listening to not only the July issue, which features the Libby's, but also a link to the Clayton Library and a link to the librarian survey that we sent out. Susan, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you guys will all stay safe and dry down there. Thank you very much for having us on, and we really appreciate it, and we're okay. Thanks. Terrific. Well, with October being Family History Month in the U.S., Family Tree Magazine has um, something very special to offer. And to share that with us, I've invited Diane Haddad back to the microphone to tell us all about it. What have you got for us, Diane? We have the Beginner's Guide to Genealogy, which is a compilation of some of our best advice that will help people get started researching their family history. So, um, for example, one of the articles that is part of this compilation is called The Game of Life, and it's a look, an overview of all the records that people produce during their lifetime from birth through death, and then even after, you know, with wills and probates. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it gives people, new researchers, an idea of what kind of records they'll be looking for, and then how to go about finding each of those records. How interesting. I imagine we do generate quite a few records over our lifetime, don't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of a nice checklist to make sure you haven't missed anything. It is. That's exactly what we wanted. Um, it's kind of everything rolled into a, a easy-to-digest nutshell, because I know when you get started in genealogy, there's so much information out there, and you don't know where to start. So hopefully this will point people in a good direction. 
Well, and, and this new offering is just perfect for this Best of Family Tree Magazine segment because it really is the best of um, all the articles that you guys have done over the years. It must have been quite a job. I know you've been um, spearheading the effort to pull all these together. How in the world mm-hmm. did you decide <laughs> what you were going to include? Well, some of them came, you know, they just came to mind as this would be a really good article for a beginner. For example, um, we did one, it was a a shorter article about how to tell what kind of cousin someone is. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. And we had fun with it. Um, It's called Hey Cuz. (laughs) And um, so it gives a lot of examples, you know, about what what kind of cousin is this and what does a removed mean and double cousins and, you know, a, a kissing cousin. And then it has a chart that goes with it that you can, you pick, um, if you're trying to see if someone's your cousin, you go back to your nearest common ancestor with that person, and then from that you can find out the exact name for your relationship with this cousin. Great. So we do get quite a few questions um, every week about, you know, how, how is this person related to me? I bet. So it'll help those people. And these articles are all going to come together. This is a, a unique issue because it's a digital issue. Isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People will go to our website and they can um, enter credit card information and then they will download the issue by, you know, just one click and it, you know, it gets saved on your computer. It's a PDF and we tried to make it as easy as possible for people to use. So there are, um, for example, there are bookmarks so you can easily jump from one part of the issue to another. It's all hyperlinked. Just click on a on a recommended website and you'll be brought right to that site. How cool to be able to click on it right then and there, go look at it, see what you guys are talking mm-hmm. about and be able to yeah. use it. No typing stuff in. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, we're going to have a link to the Beginner's Guide to Genealogy um, on the Family Tree Magazine website show notes for this episode. Um, so head over there and you'll find the link to get to it. It sounds like not only a terrific resource for beginners, but also just, you know, for those of us who've been doing research for a while, we can go through and make sure we haven't overlooked something, huh? Right. It's great to go back and look at your research and um, see what maybe you've been overlooking for a while and then just reinforce those basic genealogy steps. So I, I do think it's good for beginners and it's also good for everyone. So I'm really excited to finish this project and see the final result. Great. Thanks, Diane. You're welcome. Thanks so much for joining me for the October 2008 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, head over to the Genealogy Insider blog to read the article Diane mentioned called Footnote Launches Facebook for the Deceased. Get your November 2008 issue of the magazine to read up on Skeletons in the Closet by Sonny McClellan Morton. Then you can head over to Genie.com to start networking with your family. Next, order your copy of the brand new digital issue of Beginner's Guide to Genealogy to make sure you haven't overlooked anything in your research. And take a visit online or in person to the wonderful Clayton Library in Houston, Texas. I'll have links for you in the show notes for this episode to all of the websites mentioned on today's show. You can find us on the web at FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast. And if you have questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a line at FTMPodcast 
at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.tv, where you can listen to my free Genealogy Gems podcast, which is also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.